So when my son Miles was about a year and a half old, beginning to speak, we were sitting on the couch in our living room and going through the parts of the body. Leg, I'd call and he would grab my leg. Elbow, and he would point to the bend in my arm. After going through some more hair and ears and mouth, he gleefully called out, I, and poked me right in the <laughs> My loud screams were quickly followed by a trip to an, the emergency room and later the optometrist, who confirmed that Miles' tiny, sharp fingernail had gouged a little nick in my cornea. Babies poking people's eyes is the number one cause in America of scratched and torn corneas. <laughs> now, no long-term damage was done, thankfully, but oh my gosh, did it hurt. I couldn't really open my left eye for the better part of a week, and despite having pretty good vision in my healthy eye, I had difficulties on stairs, walking our uneven driveway, and I certainly couldn't drive without getting dangerously dizzy and disoriented. And despite, as a little child myself, wanting to grow up to be a pirate, complete with hoop earrings and the requisite eye patch, I couldn't believe how difficult life could be with only one eye. Incidentally, I gave up on the eye patch a long time ago, but I still have my hoop earrings. Thank you very much. So today's topic is vision. Vision. In fact, it is our monthly theme here at Bradford. We use this to inform our small group chalice circle discussions, as well as provide inspiration for our worships and our religious education programs. And as you heard from Patty earlier, um, we're actually going to be holding a joint open chalice circle after service today. But we can't really start a conversation about vision without first examining another related quality, that of sight. Sight, generally speaking, is the ability to sense, to see light. The ability to see is very important to many animals, and indeed, non-vision-impaired human beings take in anywhere from 80 to 90% of the information we receive from our surroundings through the sense of sight. Now, the most primitive eyes in the animal kingdom appeared eons ago. The first photosensitive organs arriving on the scene hundreds of millions of years ago. But it wasn't until the Cambrian explosion of about 540 million years ago that advanced eyes came on the scene. Now the Cambrian was a period of quick evolution of species which dramatically increased the biodiversity of the planet, due in part to the development of sight to recognize threats or conversely identify and pursue Within a few short millennia, basic light-sensitive eye spots, which are common in single-celled animals, 
would evolve into highly advanced organs which could detect color, shape. But what good is all of this visual information if an organism can't understand it? So the development of sight in the animal kingdom, scientists now believe, created a need for more advanced processing of environmental stimuli. So, in fact, the beginning of sight was literally the beginning of the advanced brain, and vice versa. So it is true, therefore, at least scientifically, that sight and thought are inherently inseparably linked to one another. Sight and thought. Now, where one eye spot on a single-celled organism could detect changes in light corresponding roughly to the changes of night and day, and multi-celled eyes on larger animals could detect color and motion, it really wouldn't be until the evolution of multiple eyes and an advanced brain that animals could discern both distance and direction. Now, if you would, I'd like us to do a little exercise now. You know, we all have an order of service, something we can hold up. If you don't have an order of service, hold up the hymnal. Hold it up in front of you and look at the, the telescope. Now, cover one of your eyes and look at the telescope, and without shifting your gaze, switch to the other eye. And think about where that telescope is. Do that a couple times until you can kind of a, get a rough idea of that. Now I'd like everybody to look behind me to the Bradford Hart on the window and do the same thing. Look at it with both eyes first and then alternate between, between your eyes. Everybody see that? Which image seemed to move more? The telescope or the heart? The telescope, right? Now this is because our binocular vision, which using two eyes, spaced a small distance apart, provides two pictures of the same object. Okay, does that make sense? Our brain then takes both images and consolidates them into a three-dimensional understanding of that object and indeed our surroundings. So the closer an object is to us and to our eyes, the greater the space between the images appears. The greater discrepancy there is between the pictures we get from each of our eyes. Now on the other hand, things that are very far away appear to move very little. Now this works with any type of binocular vision, be it a bunny or a wolf, a human or a hawk. In fact, the way scientists calculate the distance of remote stars is by making, by marking their spot in the sky, waiting six months until the Earth is on the opposite side of the sun, and then measuring it again. The greater the variation in location in the sky based on those two readings six months apart, the closer the star is to us. It's what's called measuring the angle of parallax 
Anybody remember that from fifth grade earth studies, right? Or the variation in perceived position when measured from different places. So think about it another way. Imagine driving down a country road at night while the silhouetted branches of trees rush by in a blurring mass. The faraway moon behind them seems to be motionless. Now, what happens if an animal isn't interested in things that are light years away or even across the room? What if, like a bumblebee or a housefly, only close things all around are of extreme importance? Well, insects, especially flying insects, have a very complex eye system combining thousands of individual lenses into compound eyes. And though houseflies can't really see much further than a couple feet in any direction, they can see virtually 360 degrees around them horizontally and vertically with really great accuracy in that two to three foot range, making them incredibly sensitive to any object that enters their space. Objects like the striking tongue of a hungry frog or the swatting hand of an annoyed person trying to enjoy a picnic. So I guess the first couple things to remember from today is that sight and thought are fundamentally biologically linked, and that the more eyes a creature has, relatively speaking, the better that creature can see. But where sight is external stimuli, processed internally by our brain, vision is something a little bit different. The great Christian universalist from Tulsa Reverend Dr. Carlton Pearson, reminds us that sight takes in the outside world and vision reflects it from the inside. So sight is external, vision is internal. Vision is the synthesis of the information of sight. Vision is what allows us to act upon the information we receive. Sight tells us there is a piece of paper in front of us. Vision allows us to understand how far away it is or if it's moving. In other words, vision allows us to locate ourselves relative to our surroundings. Now, if we as human beings, as animals in general, were entirely isolated, sight alone might suffice. Advanced light-sensitive organs providing data to be synthesized in a central brain, helping navigate and negotiate the environment may be adequate. But we are not isolated. We are communal. We each see things a little differently from a slightly different space and viewpoint. And as a result, we each have a different vision to present. Um, to others of reality and for the future. Now, as confusing as this might be, we are blessed also with the ability, the ability to communicate with each other, to talk about what we see and where our unique perspective leads us.
And if we've learned anything from this exploration of sight, it is that the more different perspectives we have to synthesize, be it from two eyes or thousands of lenses connected to each other, the closer we come to understanding the truth. But on the flip side, the fewer perspectives we take into account, the more lost we become. Now, Dr. Donna Haraway, who is a feminist scholar, author, and professor of the history of consciousness at the University of California, Santa Cruz, go fighting banana slugs, <laughs> Dr. Haraway sheds light on how the lens through which we see a situation drastically affects the way we interpret and evaluate it. She uses primate research as an example of how different people with the same information, the same data, can come to drastically different conclusions about that data. So the entire early study of primate dynamics was, of course, like most scientific explorations, dominated by men. And in describing what they call the alpha male phenomenon, observed in chimpanzees and gorillas and some of the other greater apes, where a single male commands a family group surrounded entirely by adult females and babies, these almost exclusively male researchers almost universally conjured up images of harems and drew parallels to misogynist policies and practices common among human beings in our human society. But, as Donna Haraway points out, newer research, spearheaded in part by some powerful and outspoken women such as Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall, have thrown a lot of these earlier assessments into question. If you look to nature for a justification of how we behave as human beings, you're likely to find that justification. So a feminist looking to a primate group of a single male surrounded by females and children finds not necessarily the patriarchal and misogynist system claimed by her male counterparts. Rather, she finds matriarchy and an increased valuation of the feminine. Rather than a king looking after his harem, it is a female collective which determines the value of the male, and it is with the females that the true communal power lies. Now, we, ex we experience this same phenomenon <coughs> everywhere. Women's health care, where anatomical research of the female body has lagged decades, even centuries behind our understanding of the male. The science of sexual health has been dominated almost entirely by male issues. And of course, this very week, we have seen this dynamic play out on the highest governmental stage with the testimonies of Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh dominating the media and bringing two distinct and very divergent understandings to a crisis point. On the one hand is, of course, the perspective we've endured for centuries, that of the boys' club and the power of males, especially those of us white guys, to do and take whatever we want. 
But on the other hand is the truth that women have been carrying, primarily silently, for eons. That far too often our society ignores, disbelieves, discredits our siblings who rise up to resist this male-dominant and male-dominated culture. Politicians such as Lindsey Graham are so invested in the former understanding, the boys' club understanding, they can't even see, literally cannot see that their perspective might be wrong or at the very least incomplete. Kavanaugh himself is so invested in this male-dominated vision that he might actually believe he has done nothing wrong. But that doesn't make it so. No, the sad truth is that as long as we limit our understanding to a select perspective, we all fail to understand and appreciate the truth. We fail to comprehend our reality. But the good news, and there is some problems, the good news is we no longer need rely on the select few for our information, for our knowledge, and for our culture. In an era of globalism where we are more connected intellectually than ever before, when researchers can collaborate across the globe in real time, when teachers can pull resources from any library or computer connected to the internet, when women can share their stories anonymously if necessary with each other and the world, when we can sit down and listen to myriad tales of our fellow humans, we have no excuse for not growing in our understanding or clarifying our vision. As legendary 19th century Unitarian minister Theodore Parker once put it, quote, the whole human race is needed to do justice to the whole truth. The whole human race is needed to do justice to the whole truth. Now thankfully here at Bradford, you, you, we try and do just that. Though you do hear a lot from me, admittedly a straight white guy, we are intentional about bringing in different perspectives, be them theological, cultural, or gender. We hear often from our pagans, our women, our gays, our lesbians, our trans community. We lift up pieces from African-American feminist authors like Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison. And when we look to our future, it is not my or any one person's vision. It is our collective voice that determines our direction. Our vision statement Right? Living spiritually, leading bravely, loving boldly, was the work of such collaboration. And our soon-to-be-unveiled strategic plan is another such example. Our leadership didn't simply write up what they wanted for the church. They asked all of us for our suggestions, our insight, our input. And that's why... It's not just an empty tagline when we shout, celebrate diversity. Let's do it, one, two, three. Celebrate, celebrate diversity. diversity! It's not just an empty tagline. It's actually a cultural, spiritual 
commitment. It's a core human value that helps inform us about our vision. So of course I encourage all of you who are interested in this topic or really just interested in learning what others see in order to inform your own understanding to stay after service for Chalice Circle today and join or create a Chalice Circle group of your own in the future. But even for those of us who won't participate this morning, I encourage us all to find those spaces and people, those spaces and people who can broaden our perspective. I encourage us to believe each other's stories, even and especially when we don't agree with the conclusions they draw. And never, never confuse sight for vision. It takes all of us, the whole of humanity, to do justice to the truth. Go forth in love, be true, and always hold on to your vision. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.